Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm really excited for today's episode as we're talking with our guest about all things passive income. He's a physician that blogs under the name Passive Income MD, and while he chooses to remain anonymous for now, he has allowed us as readers some insight into his life. He publishes income reports for all of us to follow along in his journey, and it's quite impressive how well he's been doing for just six years out of training and having two little kiddos running around his place. His personal mission is to help physicians understand and build passive income that'll assist them in achieving their own version of financial independence, which is amazing. In our show today, we talk about several ways physicians can earn side hustles, and we also dive into some real estate investing topics, like which platform he uses for passive real estate investing and how he bought his first investment property from his call room, which is crazy. One thing about our conversation that I really love is how he comments on how you won't be an expert from the beginning. You really need to take action, get a plan in place, and don't be afraid to fail. It's just overall excellent advice. So I'm excited. Our conversation was awesome. I hope you enjoy it. This is our conversation with Passive Income MD. And as long as his readers are getting value out of his content, he's going to keep producing it. Great news for all of us as he continues to find his writing voice and keeps providing excellent content several times a week. Also, before today's show, I want to make sure to announce this important disclaimer. I am a fee-only financial planner and a fiduciary for my clients, but let's be honest, I don't know you or anything about you. This show is for educational purposes only and shouldn't be taken as legal or financial advice. Please consult your attorney, CPA, or your fee-only financial planner before you take any action or make any important financial decisions. Before we jump into the interview, here is this week's digestible tip. Okay, so today's digestible tip is all around the concept of saving versus spending. You can only spend a dollar one time. You can only assign it a task once. As money comes in and money flows out, every time you make a decision to either save or spend a dollar, you're assigning it a specific job. Is that job to buy a Starbucks coffee today? Is it to save in your IRA for the future? Is it to put towards an investment property or a real estate investment like we talk throughout this episode to build passive income so you can work less hours at some point during your career? What is it that you're assigning your dollars to do? And make sure that the task you're giving the dollar correctly matches your beliefs and what you believe will give you a truly fulfilled life to live your ideal life. Make sure that your spending matches what you really, really want in life. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Passive Income MD. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Definitely excited to have you here. Passive income is a fun topic to have. I, I definitely, as a, an advisor, try to have my own passive income streams, and I'm excited to kind of dive into more about you and the blog and kind of help out some of our listeners here, generate some additional passive income. Can you go into the backstory on why you created Passive Income MD and you know what your motivation was for creating the awesome site? 
I actually didn't have huge plans for it when I first started. It really just started as like a fun creative project for me. I noticed that a couple years out from residency and fellowship, you know, I started getting more involved in all these different passive income ventures. And I started talking to a lot of people in the hospital about it. And I found that people were coming to me asking about what I did and how I did this and that. And I thought, look, there isn't a good site to talk about this online. Why don't I just put something up and, and see where it goes? If anything, just, you know, maybe my friends would look at it and we'd be able to start some discussion here and, and just go from there. And I put it up. And next thing you know, um, you know, a lot of people started coming to the site, a lot of people that I didn't know. And it got some nice coverage on some national sites. And away we went. Now it's become something that I feel somewhat of a mission. You know, I feel like a lot of physicians need to know about this. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback from a lot of the readers, uh, the subscribers, and people, you know, again, I don't know personally, but they, they've said some really encouraging things. And so uh, it's only kind of been a nice, like, self-reinforcing kind of circle. Now I've spent a good amount of time on it, and I hope that I'm helping people. Yeah, I absolutely think you're helping people, you know, in, in full disclosure for our listeners is I'm actually a sponsor of Passive Income MD and I'm not a sponsor just because I want to get my name out there. I actually really like your content. I think it's great content. I don't see many other blogs specifically for physicians talking about specifically passive income and different income streams. I really, really enjoy your content as an advisor over at Physician Wealth. And I know uh, my wife definitely likes reading your stuff because I, I kind of force it to her. But uh, <laughs> right. I know that your reach is expanding and that physicians definitely need to hear your message. So keep keep up the great work with that. All right, cool. I mean, as as I continue to do this, people are reaching out to me and I'm actually learning. I'm actually learning so much. You know, I'm talking to plenty of other physicians who, I mean, they're, they're way ahead of where I am and where I'd like to be. And so if anything, I'm just learning from them and trying to basically just report back to other people. So, yeah, that makes sense. And now that you've been growing and I, I know you've gone through kind of a rebrand on the site and it looks awesome now, what are kind of your plans going forward for the blog? I know that as you start to put out more content, you're going to need to keep educating yourself to provide that great content, but, but where you kind of see the blog heading currently? I'm really just trying to make it a resource, a free resource for people to go to. And I'm just, I'm always trying to tweak it to make it better for people. When they first come to the site, you know, I want to make it very clear. Here are some ways for you to learn about different sources of passive income. Here's some way, here are ways for you to get involved. Here are some stories about some physicians who have already done these type of things. I'm always tweaking to try to make that clearer. You know, I, I'm new to this and I've never done this before. So I'm learning as I go. And there are some great examples online of other physicians who have set up some amazing blogs, like obviously like the White Coat Investor, mm -hmm. Physician on Fire, Future Proof, those guys. And I'm trying to take cues from them and tweak this thing as I go. You know, I don't have any plans to, to stop doing this anytime soon. I really enjoy it. I didn't think I'd enjoy writing this much. And uh, again, as long as people feel like they're getting value out of it, I'm happy to continue doing it. That's awesome. No, I, I definitely think people are getting a value. You know, I, I know a fair bit about personal finance and I get some value out of it. It's just a different perspective and getting a little bit more insight into uh, a physician's mind. And, you know, physicians are, are interesting. They stick together. They ask each other for help and advice and, and things, which is great. Sometimes you get caught in that, that echo chamber that it's not good, but for the most part, it's good. And the fact that they can instantly trust you knowing that you are a physician, you have their best interest there. You're not you're not selling them out to the, the first person you can just for a quick buck, like many other sites can and, and actually do. So I, I think you're doing a great job with it. I'm curious, you know, how much time are you putting into running the blog right now? 
Well, I'm trying to be really disciplined about it and put posts out at least three times a week. In the beginning, I said, look, whenever I come up with a good blog post, I'll do it. But I found that if I don't keep to a schedule, then sometimes you just kind of other things get in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I put things out three times a week. Takes me a few hours to write each post. Some of them are a little bit more research heavy. I spend some time just planning out posts in the future, talking to other people who could potentially be great guest posts and, and highlights on my blog. So I probably spend a good at least 10 to 15 hours on the blog a week, I'd say. Mm -hmm. In addition to full-time? Yeah, I'm, st I'm still working full-time. Well, I I've cut down a little bit. If you check out my, my income reports or some of the posts that I've written recently, and you know, I like to talk about this whole notion of gradual retirement, as my passive income sources have like increased, you know, I try to take action on it right away. I mean, I, for me, it's not just about saving for a day when I can retire when I'm 65 or 70. I kind of want to enjoy my, you know, start enjoying my life right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I start getting income from these other sources. I'm actually starting to cut back on my clinical job now and today. So, honestly, I think I'm down about close to about 20% of where I was about a year and a half, two years ago. So, I'm, I'm at about 80% of where I was. That's amazing that uh, you're, you're kind of realizing the dream during the dream, if you will. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully I'm putting it out there and I'm trying to make it, you know, so people can follow along. I mean, this is something that I haven't really achieved where I want to be yet. It's not that, you know, that financial freedom, that notion of financial freedom. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. And so hopefully you're seeing that along the way through my posts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you'd mentioned the income reports. Is this something that you do regularly or are you starting to do a little bit more regularly, I should say? Yeah. I mean, part of the whole thing about the blog is I wanted people to be able to follow along with my journey mm -hmm. to know that, I mean, I'm just, I'm like putting my money where my mouth is and this is what I'm actually doing. So my goal is to put those out every quarter. So like every three months or so I, <laughs> people are asking for more and more, um, revealing look exactly at some of the numbers. And I'd love to do that. It's just, I mean, there's definitely some concern about putting it out there publicly from now on. You're going to, you're going to see that though, but, um, I'm trying to keep it just to my subscribers but I will be putting that out every three months or so. I, you know, I, I plan to put out some more concrete numbers there as I get closer and closer to my goal. Gotcha. And, and where can they subscribe at? Oh, just on the site. There, there are sections there where you can subscribe to the newsletter. Perfect. That's PassiveIncomeMD.com for anyone listening. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. It's amazing to hear where you're taking it and what you've been doing and how you created it. You know, how are you able to to find the time to balance everything between the site? working full-time, I know that you have a family, and then the other non-existent you know, hobbies that you have, because I don't know where, how you'd find time to do those. Like, how do, you, how do you fit everything in? Yeah, it's funny, because um, I'm one of those type of guys where the more things you pick up, the more efficient you have to force yourself to be, you know, and you become a little bit more efficient. Mm -hmm. I think people will find the time to do the things that are the most important to them, as you start doing that, figuring out what's important to you, you, you find that you found places where, you know, you've totally wasted your time doing other things that are not important. Mm -hmm. So I've really gotten rid of a lot of those things and really just focus on the essentials. So obviously, I, like you mentioned, I have two children and, you know, a wife and I love spending time with them. And to me, that and my, my non-clinical career, those things take priority. Beyond that, I find time, you know, just in the little crooks and nannies of the day to kind of work on the blog you know, I still find time to hang out with my friends and a big hobby of mine. I love to play golf. You know, my wife and I love going out to eat restaurants. And so I don't think any of that has been compromised. The things I do a little bit less of are things like sit at home, watch Netflix, you know, things like that. Just sitting on the couch doing nothing. I kind of feel like now I kind of have to always keep busy doing something just to make sure everything is still 
I still have the time to do things I love. That makes sense. Prioritizing and with my physician clients over at Physician Wealth, I, I talk a lot about goals and prioritization of goals. And what is your money going to be used for? Money is a tool, right? And and what is that money actually going to be used for? What are your, your dreams and, and your goals and you know, the possibilities in life? And it's still rare to find someone like yourself that actually knows how to prioritize, knows what they want, and, and is out there actually doing it. So I definitely applaud you for getting your life together and knowing the direction that you guys want to take. And it's, it's no simple task. I mean, your, your wife's a physician as well. And, you know, with two little kids on top of everything else, it's pretty amazing what you're doing and you're still pushing out some really great content. So pat on the back to you and you know keep up the great work. <laughs> All right. Thanks. I mean, the busier you get, you have to have a great calendar. <laughs> uh, you have to do these things uh, and be prior, you know, prioritize things correctly be really, really focused and intentional with your time. Otherwise, none of this works. So I think I've been forced to do it, actually. Yeah, out of necessity to, to do yeah, everything that necessity. you want to do. So exactly. it's, it's pretty amazing. So I want to, if you don't mind, switch topics a little bit and jump over to some of the passive income strategies or things that your peers, physicians can do using, let's say, their medical degree. You know, what are some of the things, you know, people are interested in hearing from the the passive income MD here, and they want to know what are some of the things that they could do with their degrees? There are a lot of things you can do to get some additional income. You know, some are more passive than others, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I I think ultimately the more passive they are, the better. I I made it pretty clear on some of the posts what that means to me in terms Mm -hmm. of passive income. It doesn't mean you're not going to work at all. You know, it's not like you just say, I'm going to do this, and then the checks start rolling in. Uh, Unfortunately, they still do take a good amount of work, but most of it happens on the front end. You know, you Mm -hmm. set something up and you work really hard. And then ultimately down the line, hopefully they provide some sort of residual income or more that quote unquote passive income later on. Now, there are a lot of things that I'm always on the search for these type of things. And with your medical degree, a lot of these are a little bit less passive, but a lot of people have used, you know, the medical degree to ultimately set up businesses, right, Mm -hmm. which provides some sort of income later on. You know, some people have used their medical degrees to, you know, write books and write material out there in terms of course training and learning. Uh, mm-hmm. that people can learn from. There are plenty of physicians who are, are authors, and some of them are amazing. I mean, I've, I've read, if you haven't read already, you should read The House of God, you know, Drug Dealer MD, these kind of things are really interesting books written by physicians. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's a source of passive income, ultimately. I mean, they have to write the book, but after that, the checks should hopefully start rolling in. The White Coat Investor did an amazing job with a, a financial book for physicians. And, you know, I read that book, and I give that book out to other people. And, you know, he put that work in up front, does some marketing, and He's able to, you know, provide that great valuable resource, and people buy it on Amazon. I actually purchased a, a couple copies of that book and gave them out to some friends, saying uh, in the very beginning, "Hey, here's a way to to kind of get your foot in the door with some finance stuff and to understand it." Of course, uh, you know, with my buddies, I'm more than happy to to help them out in any way I can. But you know, that was a good intro to personal finance for physicians. So definitely, writing a book, it, it makes sense from a, a passive income standpoint. I mean, a lot of people have started businesses, right, with their medical degrees. Like they've started, um, you know, some sort of telemedicine businesses. They've started on-demand doctor type apps as well. Mm-hmm. Some people use their medical degrees and, and do some sort of consulting. Now, that's not necessarily passive or even being a telemedicine doc. Some of those are not necessarily passive, but there are ways that other physicians can use their medical degrees to create some additional income. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also for creating a lot of additional income, you know, using your medical degree because there are ways to do that and, you know, get paid pretty decently. 
especially with some of these, um, you know, chart reviews, medical consulting, telemedicine type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what I tell people to do and what I try to do is take that good income and then use that in other ways to create other sorts of passive income, maybe that necessarily aren't medically related, for example, like in real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, investing in some other companies, uh, ultimately putting money into the market, right? So, you know, you can use your medical degree. The nice thing about it is that, you know, you're in high demand for certain industries and you can demand a pretty good compensation using those medical degrees. And uh, then you can put that money towards other things, which actually hopefully will create more income for you. That makes perfect sense. And and you touched on real estate and that's kind of where I want to go next is I think there's been more millionaires made by real estate than anything else. And, and that's coming from a financial planner who still puts a lot of money in the stock market, but I do own a, a few rentals as well. And I know that on your site, you've talked a lot about crowdfunding. Uh, you talked a lot about multifamily. And I believe you've you've even shared some of the details of, of that first multifamily property you, you've purchased. You talk a little bit about single family. And I know from experience that you could consider them passive investments um, as they, they do make money while you sleep. But those do require a considerable amount of upfront work, due diligence, setting up the the appropriate legal structures and all that. But I guess let's take the first one with crowdfunding. I believe you've, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've you've done about 12 crowdfunding deals? Since the time I wrote that, I've done about two more. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I've spent a good amount of time learning about the whole real estate crowdfunding um, industry there. I was lucky to kind of get into it early mm-hmm. and learn about it early. And, you know, I've written a few posts on it. And, you know, one of the places where I've highlighted some of the, my favorite sites is a post that I just put out that's called the best real estate crowdfunding sites. I mean, I think it's a great way for people to kind of dip their feet into the whole real estate, into, into real estate investing. The amazing thing about crowdfunding is that you don't have to put a lot of capital at stake. I mean, that's one of the big barriers to entry into like any sort of serious real estate investing is that mm-hmm. you need to put together a good amount of capital before you get to do it, right? Yeah, m- like multifamily wanna, could take hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to get into commercial deals. I mean, you're talking millions of dollars. Um, you know, for, for a decent deal. What are some of the minimums without going too much into that post? Who's the number one uh, crowdfunding platform you've been using? Oh, the number one. <laughs> well, yeah, some of the minimums like you asked for can be as low as $100. And wow. some of these are available for you know, non-accredited investors as well. So even like, you know, people like residents could, you know, potentially do it. I'm not saying that that should be your primary <laughs> source of investing as mm-hmm. a resident. But it, it might be one way to kind of just learn and, and follow along in terms of the industry and kind of get, you know, again, dip your feet in. Absolutely. And we're, and we're talking more alternative investments here. We're not talking, you know, your main four three B's and IRAs and, and all that kind of good stuff. We're, we're talking about some alternative stuff that they could do, you know, in addition to that. Right. I, I consider it a given that all those things are kind of ultimately taken care of. And then, you know, you have a little bit of money set aside for some of your alternative investments then, you know, this might be a great place to put that. Now, I don't really necessarily have just one favorite. I, I invest pretty widely across a couple of different types of platforms. Okay. Because, you know, they have their own little little niches and little wrinkles to them. And mm-hmm. so depending on what I'm looking for, I might invest in different platforms. I mean, some of my favorites are, you know, Realty Shares and, you know, Equity Multiple are a couple of places where I've invested pretty heavily. Patch of Land. You know, there's okay. some new ones that have come into the picture, which, you know, have little different... Uh, they have a couple of different focuses, like one's called Rich Uncles, and there's a company called Alpha Flow, which is really interesting. So these are these are companies where I'm currently putting my money. 
Okay. And, and just without going into crazy amounts of detail, you know, when you look at a, an investment, what are one or two of your criteria that you're looking at? If someone doesn't have a, a lot of background in real estate, I know this might be slightly over their head, but what are you kind of looking for when you look at these investments? Well, there are a couple of things I look for when vetting out some of these, you know, crowdfunding deals. First of all, I want to make sure that I go with a, a platform that has been tested a little bit over time. I mean, these things are pretty new, mm-hmm. but I try to stick to the ones that are a little bit more established, that have a good amount of deal flow, and they've kind of gone through some of the challenges in the market over the last couple of years. Ultimately, the things that make the big difference are the operator involved, the person who's actually doing the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually try to vet them out as much as possible. How you know how how established are they? How long have they been in the business? Uh, tell me about some of the you know the deals they've done in the past with that particular platform and whether they've had any issues with any sort of non-payment or had some issues with the deal in terms of being late. Yeah, so those are the things I vet out first, and I make sure we, you know, I go with a good, reputable operator. And then secondly, then I look at the actual property that they're investing in. For example, the, you know, they might be flipping a home in Los Angeles, for example, and if I have some local knowledge of the market, then I might look and say, okay, well, that's a good area. And, you know, what their their projections for what they think they can ultimately sell this home for may actually make sense. And so I spend a little time doing that. At the same time, you know, once I get comfortable with some of these platforms that I use, I mean, that's what they do. Their whole job is to vet out these deals and only bring good deals to you as the investor. And so um, I don't spend as much time, you know, vetting these things out as I've gone to, you know, gotten to trust some of these platforms. Mm -hmm. Again, I stick to the ones that I like and, you know, I just go with them. So with respect to the platform and, and I've actually, I've, I've dabbled with looking at investments, but I've never actually jumped in cause I, I actually do my own investing here in a local market in Vegas, but do these uh, platforms invest their own money? Do they pre-fund and do they keep any of their own money in the deal? Or is this just a, the, the platform and then they're kind of, they exit in and just get a service fee. You know, a lot of these companies do things differently. And so you kind of have to check that out. For example, company like Equity Multiple, they invest alongside you in every deal. Companies like Patch of Land, they pre-fund all the deals. So I guess you could say their money's at stake as well. Mm-hmm. Some of these other companies like a company like RealCrowd or CrowdStreet, they're just online platforms that basically make the introduction between you and, mm-hmm. and the uh, the operators, and they get a, get a small cut of it, right? Um, so some might say that they don't have as much invested or at stake in the deal. Uh, so every platform is a little different. So you have to look at that when you're actually going to pick which one you want to invest in. Yeah, and that makes sense. And and for the listeners who who maybe don't follow this as closely, when we're talking about service fees or getting a cut of the deal, usually that's on the servicing of the the loan or the equity that that is put in. So if the borrower is borrowing, uh, you know, a million dollars at ten percent, the investor would let's say get nine percent, and that one percent is a service fee. Um, a servicing fee for the platform for basically not only connecting the people together, but also their involvement and servicing the loan and make sure all the payments get done correctly and allocated correctly. And then taxes are, and all that kind of stuff is taken care of from a, from a backend paperwork perspective. I mean, why I like some of these crowdfunding platforms is that, I mean, I've invested into other deals, you know, uh, syndicated deals, for example, where, you know, I'm just a small-time investor, and I invest in a, um, somebody trying to 
uh, you know, buy an apartment building and ultimately turn it around and sell it. The problem is that I worry that if something goes wrong with the deal, I mean, who do I turn to to help me out in that situation, mm-hmm. right? The nice thing about having some of these uh, platforms behind you is that you know that if things go wrong with the ultimate operator of the deal, they're the ones that are going to manage all that. So I just feel like there's less headache at the end of the day, which helps justify you know some of the fees that I might you know I might be receiving a little less on account of some of the fees that they're taking. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And you know, time's going to tell. We've had a pretty nice bull market uh, across multiple asset classes recently. You know, for the past what seven eight years. And so, you know, some of these guys are going to get tested, maybe not uh, tomorrow, but in the near future, when we do have a correction in real estate, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this kind of shakes out and if there are defaults and how that all kind of works, Um, which is a little reason why I've been hesitant on that. But uh, I'm actually thinking about doing our first deal here in the next month or two, um, if something comes up. So I'm definitely going to be checking out some of the platforms you had mentioned with respects to, to multifamily. You had wrote a couple posts actually on that. And for those who haven't read that, you know, would you mind kind of going into your first apartment deal? Do you feel like it's a truly passive income at this point? Talk a little high level on investing in multifamily. Yeah, I started writing a post on it um, because so many people were asking me about it. So it's a long process and it's hard to summarize in in just one or two posts. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I put out post number one and hopefully post number two should be coming out here shortly. I've always been interested in trying to uh, acquire multifamily property. I've seen a good number of physicians do that in the past and been really successful. And these are some of my older colleagues that mm-hmm. I work with. You know, some of the ones that are that seem to be a little less stressed about you know their current incomes and seem to be pretty set up for retirement. I just you know simply ask them what what have you done to set yourselves up? And a good number of them have bought you know apartment buildings and multifamily and, and at this point you know, 20 years down the line, 25 years down the line, a lot of them are paid off and they're just providing, you know, there's just a monthly check for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to be in this similar situation. And so I started looking into uh, some of the multifamily units, you know, properties in this area. And honestly, I had no idea how to start. I just asked one of my colleagues, how did you get started? And, you know, they intru- introduced me to a, a real estate broker, a good commercial real estate broker in that area. Mm-hmm. And I spent a good amount of time with that person, just sitting down with them, uh, trying to understand the process, trying to understand how it all works. And obviously, I started diving into a bunch of resources online. A great one online is is a site called BiggerPockets.com. They have probably all the all the great resources that you need in terms of trying to invest in real estate. They they provide it all there for free. Another great book that I read was The ABCs of Real Estate Investing uh, by uh, someone named Ken McElroy, which helped break down some of the numbers and finances and those kind of things. That's a phenomenal book, by the way. Yeah, I love it. And beyond that, I mean, you can find everything online that you need. And hopefully my, my site also provides some of those resources. But yeah, I started with that. I was a little bit uh, hesitant about going on it, you know, going in on my own uh, for this first one, because again, it, it's a pretty large capital commitment. And luckily, I was able to find a, a friend, a neighbor, and another physician, all in the same person, um, who was interested in doing the same. And we decided to do it together and, and learn together. And so, honestly, within about three months, you know, we were able to identify a good property that we wanted to buy, seemed to make a good amount of sense, and one that we could learn on. And, you know, we just went for it. I, I think that's part of this whole process is that we could have sat there and we could have sat there, you know, uh, just wondering, going over all the different contingencies and trying to figure it exactly out and make sure it was perfect. Uh, the thing that we realized over that time was that, you know, nothing's going to be perfect. We, we took some of the pressure off ourselves to make sure that this one was like a, the most amazing deal. We kind of realized that, you know, they're, they're, we're going to learn and we're going to make some mistakes. 
we said the best way to do that is to actually just dive in and you know do the best we can, learn on it, and hopefully it's just a great learning for experience experience for us. And this will hopefully just be a stepping stone for us to find better, better deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So listeners might be going, you know, wow, that's kind of scary and daunting. And, you know, I don't even know where to start. You had mentioned some resources and I'm on bigger pockets. I love biggerpockets.com. And there's a, a ton of resources on there. Um, some really great books. I'll actually link to a few more in the show notes. But when you were looking at deal, looking for deals, like you, they just didn't fall in your lap. When you met with the commercial broker, you told him we're looking at X price range, X, this, this, and that. Would you mind sharing maybe a few of your criteria with a disclosure of it makes sense in your market, it might not make sense, and it more than likely will not make sense in any other market. But would you mind kind of sharing, you know, how you selected down properties and what you were going to look at, and maybe some of the deal flow that you did or did not see in that initial couple months that you started looking? We're in Southern California, so the prices here are, are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we wanted, to, we actually wanted to invest locally. So that we could drive over to the building if we wanted, kind of deal with some of those issues. It would make us feel a little bit more comfortable. So we kind of first decided, okay, we want to, we don't want to go outside uh, of about 45 minutes of, of our of our current area. We want to make sure we could drive to it. So we kind of drew a big, you know, circle around the areas where we could drive to within 45 miles, mm-hmm. uh, 45 minutes. Made sure that you know, obviously, we had a price range. We each had an X amount of money that we wanted to be able to put in, and we didn't want to. We wanted to account for some repairs, some you know unforeseen issues, have some sort of emergency type fund or reserve type fund. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of came up with a, a ceiling for where we wanted to be in terms of our price. And so we took that to our broker and we started there. We said, look, these are the areas we don't want to drive without you know, longer than 45 minutes. And here's our price point. Just find us properties. And so they started sending us properties our way. And what we would do is honestly just drive the areas. I mean, it took a lot of research for those three first three months. We spent a lot of time driving, driving around, looking at the buildings, you know, walking, walking the streets. We also spent a good amount of time uh, diving into some of the numbers and trying to understand the whole concept of the net operating income, understand exactly what what cap rates are and these kind of things. You know, I actually wrote about that, right? The couple, you know, yep. I guess there's a couple of numbers that you need to know when you're investing in real estate. Yeah, it was um, a great article. But it's, yeah, but it's not it's not super complicated, honestly. We we, we deal with a lot more complicated things, I think, uh, in medicine <laughs> in terms of numbers. You know, mm-hmm. we've all done, you know, we've all gone through serious physics and, you know, advanced mathematics and these kind of things. And most of the numbers that come up in, in real estate, they're just honestly just adding, subtracting, multiplication, division. And beyond that, you don't need to know much more. Mm-hmm. We spent those first couple months just trying to understand how to put the, uh, how to deal with some of those numbers. I kept looking at property after property after property. And eventually we started figuring out, okay, this is a good deal or this is a pretty good deal. And, Ultimately, when we saw one that we thought was a, was a very good deal, you know, we jumped in. And we were pretty aggressive with it, and luckily, we were able to get it. And was there a lot of rehab with that one? Yeah, there was a good amount of rehab. <laughs> Honestly, right. more than. And are we you thought. guys handy, or did you hire it out? Oh no, no, we definitely hired it all out. Um, okay, I think that's one thing. As you know, we've come to realize is that you know we're physicians and we're busy physicians and we have families and these kind of things. I mean, your time is extremely valuable, right? Sure, I could be there and I could be mowing the lawns myself or doing these type Hmm. of things. But part of the reason we bought these things is that we wanted to ultimately free up more time for ourselves in the future, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of consider that just a normal part of the expense. I mean, we we have a management company that takes care of things. So we don't want to get called, you know, in the middle of the night for plumbing issues or, or things like that, right? And so we have a great management company. And I think that's, I mean, obviously the huge member of the team that you have to kind of get set up. 
and then we make sure that we have good people working for us, you know, who can fix things. And uh, we did some rehab on the units. And honestly, figuring out who's a good contractor and these kind of things was a learning part of the learning process. We actually ended up firing a few <laughs> contractors to find somebody good that we wanted. And, uh, you know, again, you don't know how to vet these things out when you first start. So you learn along the way. And I found that the only way to do that is actually by doing it. You're not going to be able to read about it and be able to be an expert from the beginning. Um, just like in medicine, right? I mean, you can read about, you know, things, physiology, you can read about these kind of disease processes all that you want. But until you actually see it in person and learn how to deal with it, these kind of things, you can't really call yourself an expert in it, right? At this point, do you believe that this is a passive investment for you? At this point, about two years after our purchase, it's actually become quite passive. I mean, we have a great management team in place. Uh, all our tenants are, are extremely happy and they're all paying their rent. I mean, honestly, we don't even deal, you know, we don't get phone calls or things on the building at all. So we just look forward to our monthly check. I'm sure there will be issues along the way as they come. Most of the active process took place in the first about year and a half when we were rehabbing some of the units, kind of there was some turnover, some of the tenants and things like that. Mm -hmm. But about two years in, we were really settled in. It's definitely kind of that whole passive income that we were looking forward to when we first uh, bought the building. That's perfect. Yeah, it, I kind of found that after the first year, and I only buy single family, getting it rent ready, finding tenants, manager, all that kind of stuff. The first year, it takes some effort. And then after that, it's um, the biggest chore is managing the manager, if that actually exists. And then the accounting piece of it is making sure that income's coming in, your expenses are within check, everything gets paid. And, you know, that's the extent of, of it. Otherwise, it's it, how they call it mailbox money. It makes sense. So I appreciate you sharing and, and walking us through your, your first multifamily deal. And now it's time for the curbside consult. So a physician's listening to the show and saying, you know, I can do this. I want to make, you know, some passive income doing X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter what it is. Where might they first start if they have zero passive income? And that's something actually, that was one of my first posts that I posted when I started this website. I called it the 10 perfect passive income ideas for physicians. And those are, I mean, they're ideas that, you know, people can jump into right away. Some of the ones that people can jump into without having too much experience or even putting a good amount of capital are things like, you know, they can invest into real estate crowdfunding, like we mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're an accredited investor or non-accredited investor, we can talk about that, you know, what that is later if you need to. You could, you could invest in something literally today. <laughs> if you really wanted to, and, and see, you know, get a monthly check in terms of a monthly dividend. I mean, those are great ways to do it with in terms of real estate crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. There's peer-to-peer -peer lending, right, where you can act as a bank, and there are people that are looking to do things like, you know, consolidate their credit card um, debt or things like that, right, or trying to refi, you know, some of their student loan debt and things like that, and they're looking for some, some funds online. And peer-to-peer -peer lending, like things like uh, Lending Club and Prosper are two places where you're able to do that right away. There are some other type of a little bit more out there types of way to make passive income, but some people are doing it, and I'm, I've shown that physicians are doing it. Um, they are, you know, doing stuff creatively on YouTube, for example. You know, there's of course there's there's the famous one, Z Dog MD, right? He's got a great channel on YouTube, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, he makes content, puts it up on YouTube, and on account of the ads that are put up on YouTube, and everybody sees those ads, he makes money anytime takes a, you know anybody takes a look at it, right? Clicks on it. Mm -hmm. um, I know a resident right now that he is a musician, you know, plays the piano, and he's created these, these amazing songs on, online and put them on YouTube where people can study to his music. And he's got millions of hits on it. Every time somebody clicks on and listens to his music, he, he makes money. 
That's um, amazing. You'll see him hi- yeah, I'm going to highlight him on my site pretty soon. Perfect. Um, look forward to there it. Are, there are tons of physicians. If you ever go to the – there's a you know there's a, a Facebook group called Physician Side Gigs that I help moderate. There are tons of physicians on there doing all sorts of different things to create passive income. It doesn't have to you know even use their medical degree. They use their creativity or other types of passions. For example, there's a physician on there who creates her own line of you know soaps. <laughs> she loves making her own soaps. Wow. And she creates and she and she sells them online. There are people who, like a friend of mine, she created uh, different types of inventions. Right? She even made her way on Shark Tank and um, was able to create passive income. So I think if you have the creativity. It doesn't always take a huge amount of funds to start these type of things, mm-hmm. but it does take some time, some effort, some dedication to do these. I mean, there are ways for people to get started right away. That's awesome. And that kind of transitions into our next one, which you've touched on a little bit here uh, without knowing was, what are the few things that physicians still in residency can do? And you know, the first thing that kind of came to mind as you were talking about this stuff is Etsy and, and a few of the other platforms that allow you to create things. But do you have any other... Uh, value bombs that you can drop on on people that that might be able to uh, generate a little bit of passive income while they're while they're still in training there are now you know in addition to blogs like my i mean there there are residents and there are fellows actually creating blogs now Mm -hmm. that they're able to monetize a couple examples of these are future proof md you know life of a med student and those are guys who just started it during residency and they were able to you know develop enough of a readership that they were able to you know attract advertising and do some uh, you know make some money through some affiliates and things like that you know residents can also if they really want i mean if they again if they really wanted to they could invest in peer to peer lending i think right they can do peer to peer lending they can do real estate crowdfunding uh, these are kind of ways to get involved i know some residents also who have you know, written books, read, you know, written study guides and these kind of things mm-hmm. um, and being able to collect some passive income on account of that. Uh, that makes perfect um, sense. Yeah. So there are a good amount of ways for residents to get involved if they really want to. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the last question I got for you here is this physician owns several rental properties that have some pretty massive gains they've held for, for quite a bit of time. And they're looking and saying, yeah, the, the cash flow is nice. You know, this passive income is nice, a couple hundred bucks a door or, or whatever it is. That, that massive game is, is pretty tempting. When should you look at selling properties versus uh, and, and maybe moving up in, in scale if these were starter homes to, to bigger homes or, um, you know, smaller multifamily to bigger multifamily? When is the optimal time to scale up or to eventually exit a, a, a passive income property? I mean, really, it depends on your goals. I mean, it starts with that. I mean, are you trying to increase your net worth or ultimately are you trying to maximize your cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who are a little younger, younger, they're a little hungrier. They're still making good incomes you know, with their physician salaries and they're not quite yet ready to retire. And so what they'd like to do is try to build up their net worth or try to build up as many properties as possible. And then later on, they, they'll worry about paying it off and, and worry about the cash flow later. You know, they, they probably shouldn't allow too much uh, equity to be built up in some of their properties. And what they can do in that situation to avoid paying taxes, they can do something called a 1031 exchange, right, where they're mm-hmm. able to literally exchange out some of those property, possibly for some bigger properties, right? Take a single family and buy a duplex or take a duplex and buy a quadplex or even a multifamily mm-hmm. and do that, you know, basically pushing off your taxes for the foreseeable future using a 1031 exchange. And I know a lot of physicians who are doing that and they kind of do that trade every so many years. 
For example, I have a friend who recently uh, exchanged his eight-unit building and was able to exchange it for a 22-unit building. He could have just stuck with that eight-unit building, which would have cash flowed pretty well. But his goal is to try to acquire as many units as possible, and where somewhere in the future he can just kind of ultimately live off those. And so that's his goal. His goal is to try to build up his net worth, try to build up as many properties as possible. Now, for example, like my father, he's a physician as well too. His goal right now is he just wants to live off the cash flow. His goal is not to sell any of these properties, and he'd rather not. For example, he loves having them paid off. You know, he wants to live off that monthly cash flow, and he doesn't. I mean, there's no reason for him to ever sell. Mm-hmm. I, I try to find a nice balance there. I mean, I'm trying to live off some of the cash flow today. So I can work a little bit less in my clinical job, but I'm also looking towards the future where I'd like to, you know, have, you know, acquire a good amount of assets under my belt so that someday they can provide a little bit more cash flow in the future. So there's a nice little balance. Unfortunately, there's no right answer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all personal. It's all personal on what your situation and what your ultimate goals are. But the cool thing is, you know, with real estate and these kind of things, there are ways to kind of do any, I mean, whatever your goals are, there are ways to achieve that, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that was a perfect answer and, and something that I, I try to bring up a lot with my clients at Physician Wealth is, you know, what are your goals and, and how do we accomplish those goals? And the more true you are to yourself, knowing for in this example, I would really like the cash flow. Well, you probably shouldn't sell to get the gains. And if you really want to keep kind of roll, not rolling the dice, but you want to take that equity and that built in equity, sell it 1031 into another piece of property or a bigger, better piece of property. Maybe it's from a two unit to a four unit or from one home to two homes in your market. You have to know what you really want. If you want to grow your, your balance sheet, grow your units, grow your door number of doors, or if you need that cash flow like your father. So that makes sense. And that was a perfect answer. And I, I appreciate the answer. Okay, thanks. Hopefully yeah. that helps people. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate uh, having you on. I know this is going to be a, a popular episode. I think you did a great job and we really appreciate having you on. Great. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, that was a super fun discussion and special shout out to Passive Income MD for being on the show. I can't wait till you're not anonymous, so I don't have to continue to call you Passive Income MD, but it's all right for now, buddy. I hope that this was a benefit to you all in true Passive Income MD form. As long as you guys get value out of this podcast, I'm going to continue to produce it. And speaking of value, I'm super excited about the plans for next week. Next week, I'll be mixing it up a bit. And we're going to be doing this kind of question answer type show that will allow you to record your questions and get them answered by me during a show. And you can go to financialresidency.com and about halfway down the page, you can click the record your question button. Make sure you let me know where you're calling from, your specialty, and most importantly, your question that you'd like answered. I've also been answering questions in our private Facebook community called Financial Residency VIP Community. Search for us in the group section on Facebook and join hundreds of physicians who want to help improve their own financial lives. I've been getting a lot of private messages also on Facebook. I'm more than happy to answer all of your guys' questions, but I'd really appreciate if you could ask the questions in the Facebook group itself. And I think your colleagues would really appreciate reading the questions and also it allow them to learn from the answers as well. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to helping you guys throughout your financial journey. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode is ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com. 
where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.